You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Hamlet Azarian. Hamlet is a numerical and results-driven executive that blends marketing, technical, and operational skills. He's delivered long-term scalable growth for both traditional direct mail and digital companies from startup to established organizations. For the past five years, he's predominantly focused on working with pre-seed, seed, and Series A venture-backed startups as a senior growth advisor. In his role, he's developed playbooks, hired and trained the marketing and growth teams, and rolled up his sleeves and even helped with execution. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting. We had a great pre-call conversation, and that was kind of a little bit of background, what we're going to talk about today. And I think we've got something that people are going to be really excited about, because with the rising cost of paid advertising, right? Digital marketing is getting more and more expensive. So what today, just to kind of tease everybody a little bit, we're going to talk about a Facebook and Google ad hack that you've discovered and deployed for your clients and um, that has been able to reduce their per lead cost by up to 10x. So when I first heard it, I was a little skeptical, but then you explained it to me and you walked me through kind of the framework of it, which we're going to share with everybody today. But before we do that, give us a really quick, you know, glimpse into kind of how you got here, your backstory, and then we'll dive in. No, of course. So Retail Merging Group is a marketing agency, and we've been doing this for a little over 10 years or so. And then the last, obviously, I'm the CEO and founder there. And for the last five or six years, we've been predominantly focused on working with venture-backed startups, working with them as early as the pre-seed stage, which is before any capital or any funding raise, to the seed stage where there's minimal money raised, maybe anywhere between three hundred dollars to $800,000 to finally to the Series A stage, where they've raised at this point multi-million dollars. We help them develop their go-to-market playbooks, you know, get them to product-to-market fit, help them scale their different marketing team and operations, hire and train their team, and so on and so forth. So that, that's predominantly what we've been doing. So what led you in this direction? I mean, what, why growth? Why did you get into this technical growth aspect? What part of your backstory led you in that direction? No, great question. So prior to this, you know, I, w- I was working as an executive at Saks Fifth Avenue. So I was more on the retail buying side of it. And prior to that, you know, when I was at USC, I was, I had the entrepreneur bug inside of me, right? So this was around the dot-com era. I, I wanted to start a business. I got going with it and the dot-com crash occurred. 
But when I went to at Saks and started working there, what I really, really liked was the results component of it. And online was still not mature. It was starting to develop. And then when I finally did the transition to marketing, what I fell in love with it is the ability for us to influence, the ability for us to see results right away. Like if when you have a successful campaign, you literally know within the first five minutes what the opportunity is, right? You're like, oh, wow, let me double down. Let me triple down. How big can this campaign potentially get? That excitement of finding the next great campaign is what kind of drives us to become who we are today and the successful campaigns we've been able to push for all our different clients that we have. So when did you break out on your own? When did you break away and start this, this uh, first uh, business? I started the agency. So I left Saks in 2007. I started consulting at that time. I did that for a little bit, you know, and then from there in around 2010 is when I started the agency. Okay, awesome. All right, so quick question. You started the agency in 2010, right? And so that was a decade ago. So I want to give a quick parallel here to the audience. Back then when you first started, how did you start getting your first clients as a startup back then? Well, how did you land your first handful of clients to start making sure that you were paying the bills? So I'm going to give you the growth hack of all growth hacks for agencies. There I applied go. for jobs. I started applying for jobs in the middle of applying for the jobs, right? I would go pretty deep into the actual interview process all the way to the point where I, I beat the gatekeeper. I beat the you know HR person. I, I went like it was was a long investment of this, right? Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just going to do this. Let me see. If, if, by the time I got to the CEO or the main decision maker, now I had to change the conversation. I'm like, all right, I made it here, but let me tell you what I do. I, you have a salary of X, right? I really only want that. But this is all the things that we do. So I went through all the different elements of it. So I was lucky and fortunate enough that I found some small businesses that believed in me, right? And took a bet and said, yeah, let's see what you got. You know, in the course of this, a few of these small businesses were not online at all. They were like offline businesses where we did the digital transformation for them. We took them from nothing offline to a million dollars in revenue within the course of like 12 months. So that's kind of our backstory. So we've always been, I guess, passionate about working with businesses that really don't have capital. Call us crazy. Like we're the crazy marketers, right? We're like, let's go work in this space that has no money, no funding, and let's try to figure it out. So the, what we've noticed is how more difficult it is, how less resources you might have, right? That's where the creativity really starts. Like what do I have to do to be more effective and to be more efficient to try to grow this business? Yeah, a lack of money will definitely enhance your creativity, right? You have sure. to become more creative. You can't get lazy. You can't just throw money at a problem. And that's, you know, that's part of the problem with companies who raise a lot of money is they, you know, they try to deploy it so quickly that they waste a ton of it because they're just throwing as much mud up against the wall as they can when it could probably, if they took that, that more lean approach, those dollars would probably go faster further, right? So, all right. And I love that hack that you did to get your first few clients. I mean, that's such a simple but brilliant hack. I mean, all you did was start really meaningful conversations with people that were looking to spend money and uh, you exactly. just piv you pivoted. I'm, I'm like they want to spend money. They're willing to spend X. I'm going to undercut them, but give them more. Let's see what happens. Basically. There you go. So. Yeah. Perfect. All right. I love that. All right. Great. So listen, today we're here to kind of unpack this whole growth hack that you've deployed for some of your clients. And it's, it's focused around Facebook and Google advertising 
that where you've been able to drastically reduce their per lead cost and enhance their conversions overall. So why don't you walk us through this again? You know, you're a pretty technical guy, so I want to tee it up here, break it down as if we're not super technical people, you know, that are listening so that we can kind of maybe someone in the audience can either contact you for maybe some help and or maybe start deploying on some of this on their own. No, of course. So on Facebook, when you're going to run advertising, one of the first things you need to do is set up a pixel. And the reason you need to set up this pixel is you need to give data back to Facebook and for them to understand if, hey, the campaign that you're running, is it actually working? So what most people do is they just stop there. So they'll, they'll set up the pixel, they'll fire it on their landing page, you know, when a lead is completed and they think they did a great job, you know, Facebook thinks it's doing a great job, they start scaling the campaign because they're like, hey, I'm getting five leads. What happens if I get 10 leads? What happens if I get 20 leads? Facebook is able to deliver that for you, right? So they're able to go and find similar like people that you're interested in and they'll bring those in. But eventually what happens, particularly in the B2B space, like if we look at our world, which is a complete funnel, right? We're like, hey, we need a lead, then we need a second intermediary stage, whatever that might be. We might want to get them on the phone call. Then we might need a tertiary stage after the phone call is, hey, we pre-qualified them, right? That they're, they're potentially a customer, they're hot or not hot, right? Whatever it might be. And then we might go to another particular stage where we're like, all right, they're cold, we need to nurture them, but they're hot, you know, we need to send them some information. And then lastly, we're going to close them. So what we've developed is this sort of like funnel. And it happens in every industry, right? So any industry, any B2B type of business and so on and so forth. Well, Facebook doesn't know these stages. They stopped. They stopped at the lead stage. So what we learned and we kind of dug into, we're like, all right, Facebook has all of this data. I mean, who's not on Facebook at this point in the U.S.? And we know everybody is there, right? And we know at least what we, the hypothesis we had was like, hey, at that time, is if we give it more data, if we're willing to give it more data and tell it, you know, of all these different, different stages that I just went through, can their targeting get smart? Can it get better? Can it actually find not just quantity of leads, but quality of leads at, you know, same or similar type of pricing? That's what we were betting on. That was the hypothesis we proved out. That's what we wanted to prove out, right? And at this time, we were getting leads in around the 100 to $120 range. So we convinced you know, our team, our engineers to work on this. And what we started doing is saying, all right, let's look through the APIs, what the Facebook APIs are. And we found this API called a conversions API. And what the conversions API does is exactly that. It does these deeper funnel events is the, the terminology that we call it. It does these deeper funnel event conversion events, and you're able to tell Facebook all the different stages that this particular lead is going through, and then start optimizing the campaigns for these different stages, so these different milestones that they reach. So we're like, okay, cool, let's roll out. Let's see what happens. So we go through the work, we, you know, we get the engineers to build it, and we relaunch the campaigns, and the craziest thing happened. We go from lead cost of over $100, $120 to down to $8 to $12, like transformational. Not only does that happen, but we also start seeing an improvement of overall the lead quality scores. So we start seeing, you know, the top of the funnel where we were getting a lot of junk before, we couldn't get a third of the people on the call. Now we're getting, you know, 70, 80% of the people on the call. 
On top of that, we started seeing even better metrics as we start going deeper and deeper into the funnel. Overall, everything starts kind of, everything starts improving and these leakages that we had before in the funnel start going away. Okay. So just let me summarize really quick because you went through that. You did a great job, by the way. I, even I could understand it as a non-techie guy. So be, you know, the biggest challenge with people that are doing Facebook advertising or even Google advertising when they're doing remarketing is, you know, they stop at that pixel and that remarketing audience, right? They kind of stop there. And I can tell you from a personal perspective, just the remarketing itself can work, right? It can definitely work to generate leads just like it was for your client. It can generate sales. It can generate appointments. It can generate whatever types of conversions you're looking for because they already have that level of familiarity. Maybe they've already landed on your website. Maybe they've watched videos on your YouTube channel. Maybe they've been a part of a Facebook Live or something, whatever you can target. So they have some familiarity. It's not the first time. They're not cold, right? They're not, let's say they're not cold ultimately. But the challenge is, is that with more competition coming into the space, right? There's more people are competing. There's more money coming into the space. Ad costs are rising. You got to start thinking outside the box a little bit. And that's what you did. You guys started supplementing that pixel data with other conversion metrics that were happening off of Facebook or off of digital, right? They were happening more in the more in the real world or off of your website. Maybe they downloaded another lead magnet or maybe they they read another article or watched another video or maybe they even went further and actually submitted an application or they got on a phone call or whatever those so some of this was offline data and some of it was online data. I mean, can you break that apart for us a little bit? Because I'm curious, I know we're talking about a B2B kind of case study here, but could you break down those events a little bit more as to what you did supplement the data with? Could you give us a little bit more examples there? Because I'm really curious. I think this is a great idea. No, of course. So part of this conversion pixel, right? So what it allows you to do is it allows you to think about your full funnel. And on this particular instance, what we did is we gave both online and offline through the API. So we didn't just say, hey, it's offline, we're gonna give it offline. We did both. We said, you know what, we're gonna do it through the API and we're gonna have the pixel still. So we had the pixel online digital component happening still, but we're like, all right, what does it hurt? I mean, we're gonna build this out for offline. Why don't we go ahead and build it for online as well? But we really started thinking through what's the journey, right? So how do we, we looked at all of our closes and we said, all right, in order for them to become a close, what is the path that we know that they need to see? What's the least resistance path? And we need to make sure that most people, if we can, we can funnel them through this journey. So we started looking at, you know, this particular case study is a loan, it's a loan provider. So what we did is we said, all right, you need to do an app. So that's one of the first steps you need to do outside of the lead, right? You do a lead. You play with a calculator to find out a, well, how much loan you're going to get at what rates and so on and so forth. So we provided that data. You're going to do an app, right? You're going to get pre-qualified. Then at that point, you're going to have to submit some document paperwork to us. Then you're going to get approved. And then finally, you're going to get closed. So those are the seven stages of data that we started providing back to Facebook in order for it to start optimizing. We initially started at the top of the funnel, so it was a very comparable experiment, right? Here is digital, here is versus API. Boom, we saw a drastic improvement. Now we could go deeper. So then we started going one level deeper. We're like, all right, what happens if we go to an app level? Oh wow, application rate went up. You know, we went from 30% application rate to 50. Now it's running at 80. Then we said, okay, why don't we go to one level deeper, pre-qualification. 
what happened? Pre-qualification rates went up, pre-qualification costs dropped down. So every step of the funnel, as we keep on going deeper and deeper, and keeps on improving itself. Uh, there is minimum requirements. Like I'm not going to tell you that it's just going to, it's, it's a machine learning, right? It, it's, it needs data for it to get smarter, but it's not a lot. It's really only 50 conversion events a week. So if you can, per ad set. So if you can give it that type of budget, it's able to systematically get smarter and smarter. So it's interesting what you just mentioned there is that it's a machine learning strategy that Facebook has. So all you're really doing is feeding them more data and giving Facebook the ability to actually learn and better target your audience. So that's, you're just enhancing the data to make Facebook smarter because ultimately, you know, as good as you might be as a digital marketer with, you know, with doing targeting or running different types of ad sets or creatives or whatever the different variables are that are going to make an ad successful online, it's really a lot of the data behind the scene that Facebook that you don't can't see and that you they don't necessarily share with you how exactly it works on how they bucket those people and who they expose your ad to and how long and, and, and all the different variables that proprietary data behind the scenes that they're probably not going to share with you. And they've taken some away, right? Like in the course of the last two, three years, they've or even four years, they've given you less options on the targeting elements of it. So where this idea came from, we're like, they have that data. They're just not allowing us to target with it. So why don't we just give them our data and let's see if they do it in the back end, right? So this kind of proves out that they still do it in the back end. It's just even though you can't choose the levers per se in your ad targeting side of things. Where we even went to even be crazier, Dennis, is like, I don't know if you do this or don't do this, but most clients that we typically start with, they're like, oh, I want to do very targeted audiences, right? This is my audience. They're male, they're, you know, 25 to 45. So they start zoning in like, very specifically on exactly who they want to go after, right? So that's one version of it. The other version is, oh, I'm going to load a, a list of all of my customers and I'm going to build this thing called a lookalike or a similar like, right? So some people do that, which we do too, right? We, we do those two, per, two versions of it. Then we said, you know what? Let's keep on going down this data hypothesis journey. Why don't we try a third version? The third version was we did no target. We left it wide open. We're like, Facebook, go target who you think we should go get. Guess which audience performed the best? Well, I could probably guess because I don't think you'd give me that scenario, but share it with us. Give us more detail. <laughs> so yeah, the open targeting outperformed both the lookalike audience as well as our own audience drastically. So I'm talking about like an improvement of like 30% on open targeting, lower, partly because of lower CPM, right? So the more targeting you do, the CPM rates for yourself go up. So the, the more you open it up, you're basically telling Facebook, go find who you think I need. That's going to trigger my conversion of it. And because you give it set the whole world, right? You give it the whole, we, I mean, we broke it down by states. We didn't say the whole world, but even in the states level, there's a lot and enough people for it to target around. As we opened it up even further, this allowed Facebook basically to get even smarter and smarter because now it had a bigger data-rich environment of people to choose from in its audience pool. So in the beginning, it hurts, because I'm not gonna, that, this is a long-run game, right? Open targeting doesn't work, doesn't win on week one. But after that first learning curve, once you've gone through that learning curve cycle, by week two and week three and week four, you're already outperforming those two other very targeted audiences. So it's a short-term loss, but a long-term gain if, if you kind of look at it. 
So it's a process. So ultimately, you're going to have to invest a little bit up front. But the objective is, is to give Facebook more data so that they can learn what the real audience that is going to convert. They can predict who's going to convert in the future and then they can feed more of those. Because ultimately, you know, that's how Google gets paid, right? I mean, they get paid on... They get paid on you continuing to run that's the right. ads, right? That's right. So, so if they can't get your ads to perform, you're gonna stop. they're not going to yeah, make they're going to stop. Exactly. Or you're going to cut your budget. Yep. Absolutely. Perfect. I love that. Okay, great. So listen, those are a couple of really great hacks that you know, you've learned in the trenches with your clients, spending a lot of time, energy, resources, ad dollars, and everything in between. And I really appreciate that. I think that's awesome. Why don't we ask a couple final questions and we're going to wrap it up for today. Let me ask you this. What's your favorite growth tool, app, software? I mean, you're a tech guy. You probably have a whole stack of tools that you work with. But if you had to pick one, what would it be? Well, I'm going to smile a little bit. And so in the course of doing everything we've kind of done, one of the most important things we've noticed is how do we get the contact information, right? So there's different tools that we can go and we can kind of grab people's contact information because outreach is really important for us. But what we ended up doing is building our own tool. So our agency ended up kind of launching a tool called Link Signal AI. And what this tool allows you to do is to basically go on Google, search any, if you can search on Google, you can do this with anything basically, right? Search any Google search result and be able to go in and find the contact information of those domains. So that's the first and foremost thing it does. But the other thing it allows you to do is it allows you to dig a level deeper. So you can go and you can find, so if you're, for example, if you have a competitor, right, and your competitor is beating you on organic results and they're getting a lot better press than you and they're getting a lot better blog coverage from than you, you can go in and you can break down who's actually talking about them online and be able to find who those influencers are, who those people that are talking about them and begin an outreach process to be able to connect them. So this is our favorite tool because it's like, it's our go-to, right? With any client that we take on is the goal is to try to make sure our client is talked about in that industry. And what we've noticed in the course of doing this in the last five or six years, if it's a startup, if it's an SMB, whoever it might be, there's only about 100 or 200 people that really matter in a given industry. Who are those 100 or 200 people? And our tool helps you identify those people so you can begin and connecting with them and talking to them and getting to know them better. It's more like a, a lot of it is more SEO driven, right? And social media driven. It's very SEO yeah. driven. But SEO, obviously, is, a lot of people think it's just about rankings. Yeah. We think differently. We think of it more it's about relationships. So for us, yes, you need to do the content. Yes, you need to do the technical. But the back, you know, the backlink strategy is what most people call it. We hate it, right? We hate the whole notion of, hey, you have to get all these crappy websites to link to you. It's not about the quantity game for us. It's really about the quality game. So we're like, our vision is not that. Our vision is more like PR, relationship-driven, where you don't need 10,000. You know, Google is smarter than that, right? You don't need 10,000 backlinks to link. It's, it's not about that. For us, it's who's the 100 or 200 that you really, really need. And you should get to know these people anyways, right? They are thought leaders in your industry. You should become close with them. You should partner with them. You should build a relationship with them. So that's what our tool helps facilitate is identifying those people and begin the process of you building a relationship. Perfect. Love it. All right. And what would be one book maybe that's helped you on your journey or you think might help the audience on theirs? Oh, man, there's so many great books. 
One of the first books that I, I read that really opened my eyes to growth hacking was Sean Ellis's and Morgan Brown's book called Growth Hacking, where it was nicely broke down, broke, broke down the whole funnel and you started kind of thinking through how do you, the different frameworks, like how to think about this stuff. So I tend to like framework books. I tend to like like biography books, but that was the first book that really opened my eyes to this terminology of growth. Love it. Well, listen, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about what you got going on over there, and uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dennis. Uh, you can connect with me easily on LinkedIn or Twitter, and I really appreciate have, having us on, on your podcast. Yeah, perfect. We'll make sure we put all the links in the show notes. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming on today and sharing those hacks, and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.